Hello and welcome to another episode of the Barefoot Mediator podcast, news and views from Jane Gunn and guests. In this episode, I speak with Michael Tipper, an award-winning speaker, author and host of the Peak Performance Productivity podcast. Michael describes himself as a self-confessed systems and process enthusiast and champion of all things effective and efficient. So, welcome, Michael. Jane, thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this conversation for ages, ever since we set it up. I know, it's been a while. But anyway, here we are. And um, let's, let's, let's hear about, Michael, your background, which I know is fascinating, and where your passion for what you do comes from. Sure. Well, I suppose it's best to go back to the very start. My, my first career was in the Royal Navy. So I, I like to say that I, um, I was kicked out of home. I ran away to sea is what I'd like to say. <laughs> Um, I joined the Navy at 16. My, um, I, I was brought up in, uh, uh, my mother was on income support, um, and so we lived in a council house, and I wanted to do A-levels. I did reasonably well at school, but I was told, no, you've got to go and get a job. Um, my stepfather was ex-Navy, and he painted these fantastic stories about his life in the service. It sounded really quite magical. And then we had the, uh, the Falklands War happened, and all of a sudden you could see the Royal Navy do its thing. And so I, I ended up joining the, the Navy at 16. Um, and I, I tell people I ran away to see, but technically that's what happened. So I joined as an apprentice, spent three and a half years doing an apprenticeship. And I wanted to do a degree. And to do that, I had to become an officer. So I basically was selected for a commission. So I effectively rejoined the Navy, went and did a degree in engineering at um, the Royal Naval Engineering College in Manhattan, down in Plymouth, mm-hmm. and then went through the process of becoming a submariner. Uh, and the reason I became a, two reasons why I became a submariner. The first reason was because um, my the, the role I wanted to do was looking at uh, looking after the weapon system, the combat system. On a surface ship, it was very much a, um, an administrative support role to the combat effectiveness of the unit. Very important role. In a submarine, you're actually part of the combat system, so you actually operate the system as well as. Uh, maintain you more involved operation i quite like that that's the first reason the second reason was i got violently seasick oh, and of course you don't <laughs> so, get that on a submarine well you do when it's on the surface um yeah. uh, because they do have to spend some time in the surface to go to deep enough water to die but once you're under the water even at periscope depth in a very rough sea it's a very very different kind of motion and it never affected me once i was uh, once i was under um so uh, so that's another reason and so i spent um about 10 years in, in, in the submarine service, uh, my last 10 years. So I was um, on two submarines, HMS Spartan, HMS Courageous. I was the weapons officer, which meant I, uh, or the deputy weapons officer, which meant I looked after the people who looked after the combat system. I had a great time. And uh, my last couple of jobs were in procurement and then driving a desk. Now, through all of that, um, one of the things I discovered was the ability to learn more effectively. So I I discovered memory techniques. I used to read a lot of personal development books and I always read the books that was recommended at the mm. back. And I ended up finding myself with Tony Buzan's book, Use Your Head, which is all about mind mapping, and um, uh, which was a fantastic book. But when I was, when I was an apprentice, so going back a little bit, um, when I first joined the Navy, I was struggling with the naval learning system because it was modular based and very fast paced. And I was struggling so much that I almost, I almost got kicked out because I was struggling with it. So I bought a memory course and I discovered how to memorize lots of stuff, um, applied it to my uh, apprenticeship and came top of most of the courses I did after that because I knew how to learn. And I remember at the time thinking, 
why wasn't I taught this at school? Because it wasn't new stuff. Yeah. And that sat, sat with me for a long time. And so I discovered mind mapping. I discovered Tony Buzan. And I, I got into the, the learning environment. And I can remember I went on a mind mapping course whilst I was still in the service. And all of a sudden, I found people who were putting enjoyment into learning. There was music to listen to. There was accelerated learning. We did juggling. There, and, and it was the first time I was in a learning environment where I wasn't shouted at. <laughs> I didn't have stuff thrown at me. And I just love this environment. And so that sowed a seed for me wanting to do something different. Um, then my, uh, my mother uh, passed away suddenly um, and I decided I would leave the Navy. Just as she passed away, um, I having decided I was going to leave the Navy, I realized I needed to do something different from what I was doing. So I was an engineer. Uh, I wanted to help kids with learning. Um, and I thought, well, how, how can I do that? So I was a chartered engineer. I was a lieutenant commander. I was looking after combat systems. It's not the best, it's not the best uh, credentials to go and teach kids how to learn. So I saw the World Memory Championships, went along, had a look, thought I could do that. Went along, won the silver medal, um, and uh, that, and I've been dining out on that ever since. <laughs> so, so um, I then left the navy and started uh, helping uh, kids how to learn. So I would go in and work with large audiences. So I bumped into a couple of entrepreneurial type sales guys, people who'd worked with people like Tony Robbins and Brian Tracy. So they were used to large audiences and wanted to help kids. And we bumped into each other and I said, right, perfect. So I found myself standing in front of five, 600 teenagers down in South Wales, and I had to entertain them and educate them. And uh, a teenage audience is a tough place to be. Um, through my energy, my enthusiasm, my passion for, look, you, 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 you need to know this because it will help you so much. And uh, a sense of humor that I had to sort of temper occasionally. Um, I managed to find a, a way of engaging five, 600 teenagers for four hours, give them something of value that they enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. And that started that career of, of, of working with kids, built up a company. We We've got other trainers. We started working with primary schools. Um, and then uh, I, I walked away from that, some differences with, with, the, with the original founders. Um, and also uh, started working in corporate space. So I started doing a lot of uh, corporate speaking, um, working, uh, and that sort of spread my wings from that. Um, and then we had the 2008-2009 challenge. Um, and what, one, of my, one of my weaknesses as a business person, I'm not very good at marketing. Mm. Um, I'm very good at delivering what I do, so I've been told. Mm. Um, and I used to get gigs from gigs from gigs. But when all of a sudden all that goes, you're not doing gigs anymore, all of a sudden you're faced with an empty order book. So I had to pivot and found myself um, in the leadership development space uh, in the nuclear industry. A couple of, um, a couple of uh, coincidences meant that I found myself uh, because of my nuclear background, nuclear submarines, although I'm not a nuclear engineer, but understand the environment, because I was an engineer and in training development for 12 years by then, I was in the right place to help uh, set up a new leadership canopy with one of the um, major, um, well, it's EDF Energy, they're the only one people do uh, nuclear energy in this country. Um, and um, well, that, that's not actually true. Someone's going to say, no, that's not actually true because there are other companies that do that. But they were the biggest one. And uh, I helped set up a, a leadership development academy that was just a joy to put together. And that opened up a new range of topic areas for me to uh, bring my speaking and my training and my writing skills to. And then I stopped doing that about six years ago with the company. I was embedded as a contractor. I went back into the big, bad world and started then putting forward uh, my ideas on productivity, which I'd been teaching at the Leadership Academy mm -hmm. um, as a process and systems engineer. I love efficiency. And, and it was basically, I, I, was, 
I was basically teaching stuff that I'd learned to overcome my own fallibilities and my own weaknesses and my own problems. And that was the same with the memory stuff. So essentially, I, I, I'd been prostituting myself around, about, around my own weaknesses. So uh, I, I can teach, I can train, I can consult, I can facilitate, I can write. Um, and I just find something that I'm deficient in, try and get good at it and say, look, I've done this. You might be interested in that too. And that sort of broadly... Um, uh, uh, broadly sort of encompasses my career as, as someone who is, uh, I wouldn't say I'm a thought leader because I don't necessarily create stuff. I basically have got good at stuff that's worked for me and I and present it in my own style. And I've, I, I'm passionate about working live with audiences. So, so the recent challenges we've had put a kibosh onto that, but I, but I adapted to do it online as well. And to work face-to-face with people, I enjoy the interaction, I enjoy the challenge, I enjoy the humour I can bring to it. And um, so that's sort of summarised where I'm at, really. What a wonderful journey, Michael. And I think the fact that you left school at 16, um, you know, it wasn't necessarily your choice to go into the Navy, but you went in. But what I'm hearing there is a story of resilience, of adaptability, of getting to know yourself and your own vulnerability and then turning that into you know, a benefit and an opportunity and something you can work with others on. That's my take on that story. I, I once heard a, a speaker describe, uh, they were giving advice to people who wanted to be speakers and the message was, make your misery your message. <laughs> I like that. I'll make, a, <laughs> make your misery your <laughs> <laughs> and I think I think that's what I've done. Um, I, I don't necessarily claim any level of expertise. Well, I claim a level. No of title, special... though, is it, Michael? Make your misery your message. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's not a good one, is it? So I, I don't necessarily say I'm, I'm an expert in anything, um, uh, but, but I'm a specialist in stuff. And it's more a case of I was bad at this. I found this stuff. This stuff works. Why don't you try it as well? And, and that's been my um, my approach. And, and with the productivity. Um, so what I've done with productivity is I've been doing a pseudo daily podcast for 436 episodes um, now where I've basically been tracking my personal journey, the highs and lows. I say it's pseudo daily. I, I've, I'm currently on a run of about 50 episodes where I've been doing it daily. I parked it for about eight or nine months. Um, but there's over 436 episodes of me going, I've tried this, it worked, or I've tried this, it didn't work, or I wish I'd try more of this stuff because I know it works, wow. which essentially is the theme of each podcast episode. Um, and uh, it's, it's basically a, a real look behind what it takes to develop. So I think there is there's a you see some of these superstars stand up on stage and talk about their thing. And, and you forget that they have gone through hours and hours and hours and days and days and weeks and weeks and years and years of trial and error and trial and error. And you see the polished object there and you see a very slick presentation and they're very good and they're very powerful what they do. But it lulls people into a false sense of security that actually to get there, you've got to actually make a lot of mistakes. You've got to actually go down some things that aren't really the right thing to do or, or they're the wrong things for you you've got to struggle you've got to overcome the challenges and hardships and people i think miss that and one of the biggest i suppose breakthroughs for me was discovering the growth mindset principles uh, in carol dweck's book mindset and because as someone who's been reading personal development books since i was 16 years old um, the magic of thinking big was the first one i stumbled across and it's been transformational for me I thought I had a growth mindset. And if you listen to anyone who says, yeah, oh, I'm, I read a lot. Uh, and, and knowing stuff is different from doing stuff, yes. which is something else I've discovered. 
And I, I'd been the poster boy for fixed mindset. And I was embarrassed by that. And, and even now, I'm still battling through the challenges of realizing where my fixed mindset presents itself, which is getting in the way of me and my aspirations. And it's been a really interesting journey, very humbling as well. Um, to, to overcome and, and, and see that. And, but it's given me a new filter through which to see other people's challenges as they, um, as they progress to what they want to have as a better life. And helping people understand the issue of growth mindset has also been transformational in some of the people I've worked with. So what I wanted to ask you, I think, Michael, and I'm fascinated by is, you know, you talked about 2008, 2009. Well, we're now in another time of crisis, aren't we? We've come through, yeah. uh, you know, a pandemic uh, that's had an impact on all of the audiences you're talking about. You know, the people who are in organizations looking at productivity, but in particular, um, the, t the teenagers who've not been in school and then they're back in school and their exams have been disrupted. And what I'd like to ask you is, you know, what do what do you make of the times that we're in, and where sure. does this growth mindset and this um, uh, resistance to change or ability to be resilient to change, where does that fit? Do you think into this picture? Well, I think I think the pandemic has been good for us, mm -hmm. uh, and and this is if you take a strategic sort of thirty thousand feet look down on it, it's been good for us for this reason is that I think what it's done, it's shaken the very foundations of what we had before. Mm -hmm. And some of those foundations needed to be shaken. And so we'd got a little bit comfortable. Um, I, I'm generalizing here uh, when I say we, uh, talking about the world, we got comfortable with the, with the structures, the way things were. And I think what it's done is it's given a good old shake. And the things that were fragile and weak have crumbled because of that. And I think, of course, there are going to be casualties because of some of these structures falling down. Mm -hmm. But I think what has happened is it's meant that we've had to um, uh, brush ourselves down, get up, and then rebuild those. So I think that alone is going to create a stronger um, world for us in all sorts of ways. So uh, and my own business was, uh, was part of that. So I looked at my business. So I, I was standing up in front of people, talking to people. Not after about March the 13th last year, I wasn't. <laughs> so, so my business structure wasn't robust enough to deal with that. And so my business structure suffered and I had to um, accommodate. And now I, I've got uh, other strings to my bow that I would never, ever have thought about doing. And I think uh, the world will benefit from all sorts of businesses and things uh, and, and uh, um, structured infrastructure from having that big shake up and then reflecting. Now, we're probably still in a time where we're struggling with the impact of that. But I think in five years time, we'll probably look back and go, actually, oh, my Birmingham accident came out there. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> actually that was a good thing. So, so, so I think there's a good thing there. And of course, um, uh, it's been a struggle for us. But the other thing I think the downside to what's happened over the last 18 months is, is just how polarized we have become. Yes. And I think that, um, and I'm not, going to, I'm not going to go down either route uh, uh, regarding COVID and the vaccination stuff, um, because I think that's, uh, that is polarizing in itself. But what we've got now is that um, because of the politicization of a public health issue, We've now got problems in public health because there are staunch people in both camps that won't shift. Mm 
And so there's no give and take about exploration of, okay, what if, because it's so polarized. And I think that's the big, the big problem with it. So I think on the one hand, it's been a wake up call, shaking the foundations we can build from that. But now we've created an environment that I, I, we've created, we've created a difficult political environment. We created a political social environment for us to explore how to deal with these things because of the polarization. Um, there's a whole load of stuff that's come out of that. I think that's going to make it harder for us as a human race to move forward. Um, and So I wonder then, Michael, you say, you know, that we can look down the track five years and say, we'll be, we'll be sort of glad we'll have learned some lessons. How do we help people during those five years to get back on track, to stay on track, to see the positive, to learn the lessons, you know, that's the challenge, isn't it? If we can, if we can create a better world out of this, um, and that's some way away, we've got to get people through the next five years with the right mindset, the right, sure. uh, the right approach to diversity of opinions and, and all of that. I, and I see that particularly from my work, you know, the conflict that's creating in families, in workplaces, in society, we've got to overcome that and find some sense of unity and some unified purpose that takes us forward mm. as a, as a human race, even. It, it, it's uh, uh, if I can answer that question, then I'll, I'll have keynotes books for the next ten years, <laughs> I'm sure. But, but let me give you my take on, on it. I, I think it's first of all, I think it's useful just to, uh, and I think you've possibly um, jumped the question about what are we learning right now. And I, but I think I need to express what I think is happening at the moment. So we talked about polarization. I think there is um, there's an element of mob rule at the moment that is is quite worrying yeah, yeah. and um there's a number of things that uh, are are there and I, i'll i'll try and pull these these strands together so first of all there's this issue of um social media which i think properly used is very very powerful but it can be a very destructive weapon and the, the big problem i think people have now sorry people i think big problem the world has now is that they think just because they can express opinion that they should Okay. And then there is this difference between opinion and fact. Mm -hmm. And what we suddenly find is that many people are expressing a lot of opinions in a way that makes them come across as fact. And I think those who are, um, I want to use the word ignorant, but I don't want to, I don't want to see that as a pejorative term. Uh, ignorant of information is where I want to go with this. And it's probably because we are fed with sound bites. Um, so much by the media and because of the way our brains hardwired we are we are rewarded by just chunking things in small bits mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. means we're probably not applying a lot of deep thoughts mm -hmm. and i'm i say we're generalizing people are generally not applying a, a lot of deep thought because soundbite culture the dopamine hit that we get we're satisfied by short bits and so we're they're not going deep enough into things um uh, interesting enough in my in my productivity i my 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 angle is to get people to do more important things in more important things in a more more focused way more often and for longer essentially it's about deep work because we're not doing enough of it it's hard to do deep work we have to put brain energy into it and our brain will fight us putting energy into it because it's a survival thing 
Okay, it's discomfort when we're trying to learn new stuff. This is the resistance to change we're talking about. And if you've got a fixed mindset, you won't go, oh, I can't do this, I'm not going to bother. And so we've got this soundbite culture, which means there's a lot of shallow thinking around some really deep and important issues. And the, the, the thing that worries me is this mob rule element. And um, when there's a lot of people voicing the same sort of, same sort of level of thought about something, um, then there's a lot of social media endorsement of that. It starts to become the fact rather than just someone's opinion. Yeah. And so um, it, it's really quite worrying that we, we're not thinking enough. And it's come down to now that, that what is worrying is that it's, it's a case of you're either with me or you're against me. Now, there are some very, very difficult issues we have to deal with around race, around gender, uh, around sexuality, around um, social issues. And they're not easy problems to solve. There is no black and white answer. It's, there's shades of gray all over the place. But the trouble is a lot of the issues are being argued and uh, discussed and debated where, uh, where, the, where the majority is that sort of the, the, on social media. And there's a, well, if someone talks about an issue, and I'm not going to mention any specific issues because I don't want to get into any specific issue. Someone takes a position on this that um, is probably uh, founded in, in, in fact, but is, but is expressed with emotion, with venom, with hatred, with bigotry um, and, uh, and, and, and bias, an obvious bias. And if someone challenges the logic or the, 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 the background supporting evidence purely from a debating point of view, from a quality point of view, it's almost seen as an attack on the issue. And so then when you get a lot of people who aren't willing to put the effort in to explore the concepts, all of a sudden say, well, that's, that's, that's wrong. And, and all of a sudden, someone who's genuinely questioning to seek understanding in order to try and help understand. So maybe let's find some way we can work together can be um, attacked for, for doing so. Absolutely. Where I come from as a lawyer and a mediator, you know, we would debate issues as a lawyer and you would what you must do as a lawyer is weigh evidence, but you must have all the evidence. There's a principle called disclosure in, in the law and you must, you know, before you can go to court, you have to disclose all your evidence, all yeah. your facts, all your data. You can't just go on one story and say, well, that's convincing. I'll, I'll believe that. The other side has to disclose all their evidence and then you weigh the evidence, which on the balance of probabilities seems most convincing. And so we, you know, I think we've lost some of these principles of uh, how to debate an issue um, mm. in an open forum, for example, without, um, I, I, did a, I, I did a course earlier, how to disagree without being disagreeable. We've forgotten mm. the art of how to disagree without being mm. disagreeable. Uh, and, and I think uh, people are attacking people. That's their way of disagreeing. They, they feel threatened yeah, yeah. Um, and therefore they attack back. Interesting enough, the disclosure um, uh, thing, I was listening to the prosecutors who have just won the case against the three white men convicted of murdering the, the, the black jogger. Um, and they deliberately kept race out of, the, uh, out of it because it want, they wanted it to be about the facts of three men killing an unarmed man yes. um, unlawfully. Um, the fact that race was an aspect of it, they kept out of it because on the, on the merits of the case, that's how they won the case. Yeah. Um, and I think that I was, I was quite impressed that they had done that because 
that is a polarizing um, uh, dynamic to that particular issue that might have blurred the unlawful nature of the acts that those men did. Um, and I think that, uh, so, so that's sort of an example of, of, of what I think people should start to be doing. Um, but I think the, the, the another thing that uh, I, I think has co contributed to the lack of spirited, respectful, intellectual debate on topics is the this concept of fake news. Yeah. Um, I think the, the labeling of news as fake mm. has meant that now people have a get out for if that's faced with something they don't agree with, news. that's fake news. <laughs> yeah, it's just a dismissive comment, isn't it, really? Yeah. And because it's got so much weight because of those people who've used that term, it now means that if someone can't argue their case, their only way of doing it is either to attack it or to say, well, that's fake news. Mm. Um, and so, so, so where I'm going with this, is I, I think we're in an environment where the, uh, the masses properly or improperly primed um, can be very, a very powerful force um, through volume and through uh, the, the, the relatively shallow nature of, uh, of the thinking that goes on. And I think that's the environment that we're in. So your question on how do we move forward um, is that I think we, because uh, I know you want to talk about are there any leaders that we can follow? And I think we have to become our own leader. Yes. Change in society, change in, um, in businesses, change in schools um, is going to happen if I set the standard for the behavior that I expect for myself and I model that and I challenge that that doesn't meet those standards and I set that standard. Um, and, and so if I can do it for myself, then I'm more likely to affect the two or three people around me. And if they can do that, then there's this ripple effect. And I think you have going viral uh, uh, and that's how we do it. Because unfortunately, uh, I, don't think, I don't think we can lead. I don't think there can be a leader anymore because of the polarized nature of our society. Whatever you say, there's going to be someone who will be vocal and will have volume and will be against what you say. Other people will be bought into that. And all of a sudden you've got this us and them philosophy so i don't think necessarily that we can lead from being on a pedestal anymore because someone's going to shoot us down however right we are however good we think we're doing because of the breadth of opposition so the only way to do it is 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 it's like the the, the cliched story of the guy wandering down the beach and he picks up a starfish and he sort of throws it in and there's like thousands of starfish i know i was talking to someone the other day about speaking oh we would never use those stories would we might no we're going to find our own stories well here i am using this perfect story to illustrate i love the starfish story michael tell it <laughs> So, uh, so that's what it is. It's about yeah. making a difference. And, and, and you make the yeah. difference one person at a time. Mm -hmm. And if we can find more people who lead themselves, and what we're talking about is, is doing the right thing. Mm. It's doing the right thing. It's acting with integrity. Yeah. It's treating people with respect. Now, one of the things I think we've lost is the difference between respecting someone and treating them with respect. Because there is a distinction there, because I might not respect someone because of what they've done or what their views, but I will always treat them with respect. Yes. And I think we've lost that distinction. Yeah. And, and I think because people are threatened by an alternative view to their own, 
there is initial defensive and therefore they lose they don't have respect for the person's view uh, or don't treat them with respect. They might not respect their view, but they don't treat them with respect. And I think this is part of the problem. Well, that's so like unconditional love, isn't it, that you have as a parent? You know, my child may do something that is, you know, that is clearly wrong, but I don't stop loving them because they've done that thing. I, yeah. I don't respect the thing they've done, but I still love them as a, as a person. And, that, you know, that's, you can call it unconditional love or unconditional regard, but you have to still treat people with kindness love and respect even if you don't agree with them even if you disagree with them and you know i don't see that modeled in online behavior offline behavior you're quite right the mob rule is the danger at the moment but i do think you know and and other speakers who've been on my podcast i think the, the the message i keep getting is that leadership is an internal thing it's about each of us stepping up uh, being very clear about our values and standards and, and that ripple effect and that actually we have lost faith in iconic leaders, whether they're political leaders, whether they're social media leaders or influencers, is we've kind of lost we've kind of lost faith in them as leading us. And, and yet within each of us is is a sense of almost laziness and wanting someone to show us the way, someone else yeah. to tell us what to do. Uh, and yet we've all got to make our own decision as to what we do next and what's the right thing to do, mm-hmm. leading from within, not being led from without down a path mm-hmm. by the Pied Piper, shall we say. Well, and I, and I think that I mean, the self-leadership, personal responsibility is the way forward. Uh, and I think, um, and I'm certainly guilty of this sometimes, is, is my prism on the world is what I see on YouTube or uh, I'm not a big Facebook user or what I see on LinkedIn. Um, and that's my prism for the world. And I think we have to forget that that's just, just what the media are telling us. And then other people are parroting the media or parroting someone that they, they find uh, uh, they agree with and, and sharing it. Uh, and actually, we should step back and, and go out in, in, into the street and sit in a coffee shop and see real people having a real cup of coffee and, and realize that someone who has a completely opposite view to you in whatever issue that might be is a normal human being who loves people, who is loved, who's got family, who's, uh, they've got friends, they've got their own issues, their own concerns. They're human like us. Yeah. Uh, and if we can treat them with respect maybe not respect their views if they are completely opposite to us because we've got that difference of opinion, but respect them that they can have those views um, and, that, and, and engage in the dialogue uh, and explore them in a way that we don't end up shouting at each other. Yeah. And unfortunately, with social media, it's very easy to get all caps and sort of put all this spiteful comments because you're hiding behind a screen. If you can stand up and, and, and speak your truth, in front of people and do the right thing, despite maybe being challenged by those. And I think that's where we need to get to. Um, it's not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy, um, Michael. But to me, it's it's about humanity. You know, it's about it's about coming back to what humanity is, what humanity means in principle. How do we yeah. practice humanity? So I'd like to ask you, Michael, uh, you know, to come back to where you started about your productivity and your work with teenagers. How can people find out more about that and engage with you if they're interested in your your work? Sure. Uh, I've just got one thing to add, just to what, just to, just to finish the last bit. Uh, my challenge for anyone listening to this uh, in terms about self leadership is bring that to how you drive. <laughs> okay. Yes. Drive. So- 
as though don't sort of nudge in front of the other person or try and get a space, let them in. Anticipate problems. So as you get, if, if, if you know that someone's going to try and come in on, onto a motorway junction, pull over, open the space, leave a gap. Um, don't, be, don't try and get to the roundabout first. If you can drive like that, um, uh, it's how I drive. I, mean, I, I did my advanced uh, motorbike license uh, and we learned all those things. But I think if you drive like that, you'll start to live like that because it's a principle. Even if, even if they're in the wrong, can you let them in just so that you ease the flow of traffic? If you can do that, then I think you're well on the way to doing that in your own life and because that will have a ripple effect. I've got that. Drive like Michael. (laughs) Drive, drive, drive your life like Michael. (laughs) Fabulous, Michael. How do we find you? And then I'm going to ask you for your final thoughts. To Yeah, sure. So um, uh, MichaelTipper.com is uh, my main website. For my productivity um, work, it's it's, um, uh, peakperformanceproductivity.co. Mm-hmm. And there's information there about, uh, there's, I've, I've done a 10-episode podcast on there. Um, if you want to listen to me spout off daily uh, about stuff, then uh, go on to Anchor FM and look for Peak prof- uh, Profit Productivity, um, and you'll find me there. It's a daily episode. Um, for the work I do with students, so I, I wrote a book uh, this year um, that you'll find, it's only available online, stressfreestudy.co.uk. And that book is how to give your teenager an unfair student advantage. It's basically filling the gap in the education system that is still there, that doesn't teach kids how to learn. It gives them the stuff, but doesn't teach them how to process it so they can learn it easily and quickly and keep it in their minds for longer. Um, and uh, that will also, I'm, I'm reading off a whole lot of sites here. The other site is unfairstudentadvantage.com, which is where if people want to me to work directly with their team, then um, they can get there. Now, if all that is too much to remember... We'll put it in the show notes, Michael, it's fine. Then um, uh, just email me at himself at michaeltipper.com and uh, say uh, and ask me any question that you want. Well, I, I've read your book and I know it's fantastic and I know I wish I'd had it as a teenager and I wish I'd had it as a parent helping my uh, teens through school because I can remember one of my daughters coming home from university overwhelmed by you know how to how to process her dissertation and being given no help whatsoever so i think it's absolutely vital to prevent that kind of meltdown and loss of confidence that comes from and which can be life lifelong so what would your final word be michael to to those of us listening given this broad range of topics that we've covered um I think be the change that you want to see made in the world. Um, I think that's that's the starting point. Yeah, um, yeah, and I, I love the idea about the ripple effect, and it's so true. And I, I, I've known you know you and I have known each other for a long time, and I know how many lives you've influenced along the way, and the difference that you have made and are making. So it's been a real pleasure, Michael Tipper. Thank you very much, Deepa Hamid. I've enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please do subscribe to the Barefoot Mediator podcast series. And if you would like to access my free video series for managing in times of change, challenge and crisis, and download a PDF copy of my book, How to Beat Bedlam in the Boardroom and Boredom in the Bedroom, 
please go to janegun.co.uk slash video. The link is in the show notes.